and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Destiny Church, good morning. How are we doing? Come on, are you grateful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It never gets old. A year out of church may have been the best thing that ever happened to us. Amen. New, new gratefulness for this place. Hey, I'm going to dismiss the uh, six through eight class here in just a second, but I thought this would be funny to share with you. Yeah, you all are ready to go, which I love. I love the expectation, but I think this will make you guys laugh. So we had our uh, nieces and nephews at our house last night, way too many kids for how small our house is, but nonetheless, the Lord made a way, okay? And we, we had five kids sleep at our house last night. And so we started watching this movie that had some Christian undertones, and we started talking about heaven. And we said to our little nephew, I think he's five years old. We said, you know, Abigail asked him, Carter, you believe in heaven, right? He goes, no. And he's just being five and being playful. At least that's what I'm chalking it up as. Abigail takes it very seriously and commits herself to getting him saved in this moment. Praise God. (laughs) So she starts very eloquently trying to break down the gospel for this kid. And I'm like, Abigail, I just don't know if this is the time, if this is the language. So thinking that I could do it better, I uh, lean over. I say, Car, listen to me, man. Let me break this down for you. Make it as simple as I can. There's a guy named Jesus. He lives in your heart, man. Okay, he goes, he lives in my heart? Say, yeah. Well, how do I get him out of there? (laughs) Go to 6A and get Jesus in your heart. (laughs) And pray for my nephew, sweet Lord. For those who don't know, my name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here at Destiny Church. Destiny Church is one church found in two locations. Our lead pastor, Pastor Chad, oversees our Republic campus. Um, So if you are a first-time guest, like Pastor Duell said, we want to welcome you to this place. How do we feel about our first-time guests here? We love y'all. We, uh, we believe church can be enjoyed and not just endured. Amen. Uh, and if you've been here, you know we've been in a series called Life of Christ. And really a more appropriate name for the series would be the teachings of Jesus. For the last 11 weeks, every week we've committed ourselves to the things Jesus said specifically during his time on earth. We've spent a lot of time in the four gospels. Has this impacted you? Come on, has this, has this done something for you? I want to encourage you guys to sit with your families. This is the last week or, or this will be the, I think Tuesday is the last day you'll get devotional sent to your phone on the life of Christ. But I want to encourage you, have some conversations with your family, with your wife, your friends, or, or whoever you come to church with and say, man, what stuck out to you the most? What, what, what impacted you the most? And just talk through some of that. And that's some of the conversation we had on Wednesday. So uh, today will be our last day in this life of Christ series. So Uh, I think it'll be good. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in. Today's message looks a little different than it might normally or structured a little differently than we might normally structure it, but that's okay. It's going to help you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful for who you are, for what you've done. You've given us salvation. Um, God, I pray as we're in this room this morning, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts, you till the soil of our hearts, uh, make it good fertile ground to receive the seed of your word. As your word takes root in our heart, I pray that it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. I don't want to just shepherd a flock that comes in here and just listens and never applies your word. I don't want to be an individual who just listens to your word, but never does your word. So uh, God, we want to experience real transformation. Help us to not just hear this word, but to live this thing out. In Jesus name, we all said, amen. amen. 
So as we peer into the scriptures, as, as we look at the Bible, we'll see that God at time utilizes dreams to speak to his people. This is something that he does. Now we would label these prophetic dreams where God carries a message to someone and, and, and give, delivers that message through the dream. And our lead pastor, Pastor Chad, uh, reached out to me and he felt that he's received a prophetic dream specifically for Destiny Church. Now, if God was gonna give Destiny Church a word, it would make sense that it would go to our lead pastor because he oversees the whole thing. He's our leader. So uh, he felt it important. He, he said, Pastor Mark, I want you to share this dream with Marshfield because this is for all of Destiny Church. I want you to share this dream. And then I wanna talk about four ways that we need to respond to this dream, okay? So let's lean in. I'm gonna read this. This is word for word. I said, all right. I said, I wanna mess it up. Send me it and I'll read it to the congregation, okay? So here it is, it says this. This is Pastor Chad. In the dream, I was in Destiny Church and I was in our worship center. In the dream, I was, I was in a church service. I was preaching at the end of my message and I said, everyone who has signed up to be baptized, come to the front. And around eight to 10 people stood up, came to the front and sat by the baptism tank. And it was at that point in time, I said, hey, I, I said, one of the things we like to do here at Destiny Church is give people who came unprepared an opportunity to get baptized as well. So I went on to say, if, if you would like to be baptized and you didn't come ready to be baptized, that's okay, because we're prepared for you. I said, so if you would like to get baptized, go ahead and come to the front. I was expecting a handful of people. And I remember that around a hundred people stood to their feet from all walks of life, men, women, black, white, rich, poor, a variety of people. All of them had been changed by Jesus. I saw old people. I saw young adults. I saw kids and I got excited about that. But then I started to panic. And I remember looking at some of my staff and telling them, run to Walmart. We, we don't have enough shorts. We don't, we don't have enough shirts. We, we don't have enough towels. And I told them, buy as much as you can so that we make sure these people are taken care of. And it was at that time I woke up from my dream. And at first the Lord started telling me, or the Lord started to tell me, Chad, that is the harvest I'm getting ready to send Destiny Church. It says, and I was excited. There was a tremendous excitement inside of me. But then the Lord spoke very gently to me. He wasn't mad. He wasn't angry. He wasn't judgmental. It, it wasn't like, hey, you're not doing something right. But it was simply, you're not ready. You're not fully prepared for this. And I want to give you time to prepare and get ready. So there's some excitement in there. There's an exciting message in there. Okay, God, you got a great harvest ready for us. We want to steward that harvest that you're ready to give us well. We want to be prepared to shepherd and, and, and employ or not, not employ, but, you know, infuse these people, help these people step into the good things that you have planned for them. We, we want to be able to house them and, and tend to these seat. It's an encouraging dream, but it's also a dream that carries a challenge. There seems to be this prompting to till the soil for what the Lord's wanting to sow into this house. 
there's a prompting to prepare the nets for the catch that the Lord is preparing to give Destiny Church. And it's so ironic because, you know, I told you guys last week I was reading through Hebrews and this week I stepped in, into my personal time reading. I'm reading through Revelation. So if you can pray for me because even Revelation for Pastor Mark gets a little confusing at different parts. Okay. So, but, I, but I've been going through it. And I don't know if you guys remember while we were in quarantine, we had a series called What Really Matters. And it was on John's revelation that he receives, you know, that we read about in the book of Revelation. And in those first couple of chapters, Jesus speaks to him about seven different churches. And he says, John, I want you to carry this message to these seven different churches. Okay. So John, you know, while he's worshiping, Jesus speaks to him and he says, you know, write everything down that I'm going to say to you, then bring these messages. And and part of those messages to the churches were things such as like he wanted uh, John to say to Ephesus, if you don't repent, speaking to the church, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus then speaks to John about Smyrna and he says, If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you a crown of life. Speaks to John about Pergamum. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then he even says about Sardis. If you don't wake up, someone say wake up. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. I thought it was interesting as I was preparing for this message, having conversations with Pastor Chad about what was in his heart to communicate to this body as in my own time, totally unrelated to the message. I'm reading through Revelation. I'm reading through God, in essence, telling these churches, hey, you need to prepare. Hey, there's things that you need to do. You you need to step into this, right? I say all that to say that if we are as a church, will commit to a greater pursuit of him, a deeper submission to the spirit of God, I I think it's fair to assume we will experience God in greater ways. Does anyone want to experience God in greater ways in this place? I want to experience the power and presence of God on a deeper level. And I've always been gripped by this verse out of James. Uh, In James 4, you can turn with me in your Bibles if you got them. In James 4, James says this, he says, so humble yourselves, James 4, verse 7, so humble yourselves before God, say humble yourselves, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, maybe you find yourself in the room this morning, and you found yourself bound, you found yourself addicted, you found yourself commonly losing to sin, I want to tell you this, keep resisting what I read in James is if we resist breakthroughs around the corner. Amen. He says, if you resist, the devil will flee from you. So don't grow weary believer, keep resisting and you will step in to freedom. Amen. So that has always encouraged me. Keep fighting, keep keep your endurance, keep pursuing God. But then in verse eight, he says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James is writing, there's this prompting he's giving to the church. Hey, you need to draw near. You can't have one foot in and one foot out and messing with the world and trying to mess with God and mess with the world. He says, you need to lean into the fullness, right? You you need to experience all that God has. And if you come near, 
He's going to come near to you. I, th- I think there you, you can experience the fullness of his presence. And, and then on the contrary, so we see this, there's this call to draw near. But then in my, in my reading last week, as I was going through Hebrews, Hebrews chapter two, verse one, it says, you guys can turn there with me if you want to, but it'll be on the screen as well. The writer of Hebrews says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. Someone say, don't drift. Don't drift, drift. right? There is, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. Church, there's this calling for us to lean in and to stay leaned in. Amen? So that's a long intro, but nonetheless, it's, it's time that we as a church drew near and believed God for a greater revealing of himself, a greater revealing of his power. And and, and for us to expect God, let the miraculous break out. We want to till the soil in the practical God, your will be done. You do whatever you want to do, but we want to lean in, hoping, expecting, praying, believing to encounter you in greater ways. Do it in this house. So this morning, I'd like to challenge us with four ways we can prepare the way for the Lord to do something really special in and through Destiny Church. Amen. Is that okay? Okay. Number one, if you're taking notes, focus. Number one, we got to focus. There was a man named Charles Finney. He lived in the 1800s. And now he's known as the father of modern revivalists. So I I saw this quote from this man and I wanted to do a little research on who he was and what his encounter was like. So uh, I read a couple articles on him. I found on ChristianityToday.com. It says that the 29-year-old lawyer, Charles Grandison Finney, had decided he must settle the question of his soul's salvation. So on October 10th, 1821, he headed out into the woods near his Adams, New York home to find God headed out into the woods. And if you guys know anything about Billy Graham's story, his story is really not all that different. Um, so it says he heads out in the wood and he's like, I am gonna, I am gonna find God, right? He says, I'll give my heart to God or I will never come down from there, he said. So after several hours, he returned to his office where he experienced such forceful emotion that he questioned those who could not testify to a similar encounter. He said, the Holy Spirit seemed to go through me body and soul. And he later wrote, I could feel the impression like, like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love for I could not express it in any other way. The next morning, Finney returned. Remember, you know, he was a lawyer. Next morning, went to the law office to meet with a client whose case he was about to argue. He said, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause. And he told the man, I cannot plead yours. And this is one of these quotes from this man named Charles Finney. He said, revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. And for us, I I think what I'm hoping and expecting and praying and believing for is us stepping out of this Sunday is that all of us collectively, like like we as individuals would would increase our pursuit, would, would more fix our focus on God. We, we talked about this last week. Did last week help anybody? Last week's message is we talked about worry. And, uh, you know, Jesus told us not to worry, but he also said in, in Matthew 6, he said, seek first the kingdom above all else and his righteousness, and, and then these things will be added to you, right? In Matthew 6, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. 
and he'll give you everything you need. And the question for us, church, is, is are we seeking him first? Our daily choices, actions, thoughts, conversations, interactions, are they all happening within the context of kingdom seeking? As we walk out in every day, because we, we want to see God heal we, we want to see God do more. We want to, we want to, we want to experience greater encounters with God, but we got to, fo- we got to, we got to fix our focus. We got to fix our gaze, our attention, our eyes have to be fixed on him. Um, like my, my question is, are we hungry to live lives that honor and glorify God with everything that we do? Cause even Jesus said himself, if you love me, do what I say. If you, if you love me, follow my commands, right? So I think another part of fixing our focus and and seeking the kingdom above all else is devoting ourselves to the word of God. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but 2 Timothy 3.16, it says the scripture, God's word is God breathed, which is is really, it's God's spirit, right? What that's saying is, is the scripture is God's breath. And then Hebrews goes on to tell us in chapter four, Hebrews 4, 12, it says, God's word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, right? So what it tells me, it's God's breath. Hebrews tells me it's alive and active. So I give you the visual, the illustration of your Bible breathes. There's no other book that breathes. There's no other book that's alive. And I know maybe that even sounds creepy, but this is what the, this is what the scriptures are telling me. So when I come down to interact with this, I am coming down and and when, when I let my eyes read through this, not only does this have the power to transform my heart and transform my mind and give me new thoughts, but I'm interacting with God as I'm interacting with his word, because this is his breath. You want to know the character and person of Jesus? Spend time in his word as you will interact with the breath of God, the sword of the spirit, right? John tells us in the beginning was the word, the word was God and the word was with God, right? This is you, you want to get to know Jesus, spend time in his word. We got to devote ourselves. Sometimes people have the audacity to say, I don't really feel close with the Lord. Well, have you got close? Have have, have you lended your ear to the breath of God to say, speak to me. I want to encounter you. I want to hear you. Transform me right? Part of fixing our focus. If if we're going to fix our focus and live to honor and glorify him, we got to spend time in his word. Amen. Amen. Fix our focus. Bible breeze. So I'll read these verses to you just so you get them in full. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, all scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we're gonna be equipped for the good things that God has for us, we have to spend time in his word, right? Who, who knows what an incredible amount of time in God's word will equip you to do in the work of the ministry. That gets me excited. That gets me hungry to devote myself to this. And then Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is alive. Everyone say alive. alive. It's not dead. It's not, it's not just black and white pages. It's alive. It breathes. The cow on my Bible is dead. Amen. But the words in it are not. Real genuine leather, just saying. I spent the extra $30. All right. He 
Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This word is so transformative to your character, to your knowledge of God, to your intimacy with God. We This, this is a whole message. I got to keep that in my back pocket to talk more about this because we, we got to devote ourselves to the word. It, it, it's Guys, it's spiritual. And it's transformative, okay? Everyone say, read your Bible. Bible. Everyone say, the Bible breathes. breathes. Okay, number one, we got to fix our focus. Say focus. Focus. Number two, prayer. Here it is. I want to share this. It's kind of a lengthy passage, John 15, verse one through seven, but it's so good. And there's a little principle in here I want to find. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John 15. I want to read this here. This is Jesus talking. And he says, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more. Does anyone want to produce more? You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me. But this is, you know, this pruning is a deeper level, a greater equipping, right? So you have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Verse four, remain in me. Jesus says, remain in me. Everyone say, remain in me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain. Everyone say, remain. Remain in me. Yes. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain, say remain. Remain. Just want y'all to catch it here. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me, it's fine. I won't make you repeat it. You get the point. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But here's what I want you to catch. Verse seven is so good. It says, but if you remain in me, say remain one more time. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Verse eight says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Time and time again, as you go through the scriptures, whether I, th- I think it's in Corinthians, I should have I put it in my notes, but it talks about how when a husband mistreats his wife, it hinders his, prayers li- his prayer life. Scriptures tell me that it's in Peter. Is it? It's in Peter. <laughs> what, what's the verse? What's the verse? Five, seven? No, nah, don't, don't look it up. That's all right. We'll, we'll find it. But it's in there none, nonetheless. Why is it the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective? Why is it to, come, why is it to ha- have the elders of the church anoint the people of the body with oil and pray for them so they'll be healed? Well, the elders, they were held to a certain standard of, of holiness, the way that they were to called to live their life. So what I'm saying is I know this thought might be a little funky, but I think that scripture will prove it true time and time again is the way I life. The, the way I live my life directly affects the effectiveness of my prayers. And this is something I've talked about and I will continue to talk about it. And this is why Jesus says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, guess what? Your prayers are more effective. Your asking is more effective. So if we want to see God move through this place and be um, 
uh, sensitive to the prayers that we throw up as a body and see him move through this place in greater ways. Come on, not only do we have to fix our focus, but we have to pray as well. Amen, right? For us to experience God on a deeper level as a church, not only do we need to seek him first, but we need to pray. And I have faith and I have expectancy that as we seek him first and glorify him in every aspect of our life, this church will become a church that moves the heart of God and he will respond to our prayers in a powerful way. Way. Amen? Amen. The reality is that prayer changes things. Yeah. I can't explain it, but as I read through the scriptures, I see that prayer changes things. This is why we're going to prioritize prayer in this house in an even greater way than we have before. We're going to pray for greater encounters with God. We're going to pray that we'd see more people saved. We're going to pray to see more physical healings happen in the church body. We're going to pray for more volunteers to fill up our ministries. Let's believe God to increase every aspect of this ministry so we can reach more people. Amen. Do it, Lord. So number one, we got to fix our focus. Number two, we got to pray. Number three, everyone say worship. 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 Not only do we need to fix our focus and commit ourselves to prayer, but to experience a greater outpouring of God's spirit in the body of believers, we must commit ourselves to a life of worship. Amen? There's this story in John 4. Jesus is walking with his disciples and they have to walk through Samaria and If you're familiar with the stories or biblical antiquity, you know there's tension between Samaritans and Jews. Jesus is Jewish, okay? So as they're walking through Samaria, he sends off his disciples. His disciples leave, they go get lunch. And there's a Samaritan woman hanging out at this well collecting water. And Jesus approaches this woman. Now, this is kind of an off-color thing to do because she's obviously a Samaritan, Jesus is obviously a Jew. She is obviously a woman. Jesus is obviously a man. And it doesn't, you know, that was kind of inappropriate for that exchange to be happening. Not just because there's a Samaritan and a Jew, but the fact that it's male and female interaction here with no one else around. So anyways, they start having this conversation. Jesus approaches her and and she's there to get water. And Jesus says, baby girl, I got water that'll leave you. You'll never be thirsty again. Right. He's like, I got I got everything you need. And and what he slowly does is reveals to this woman that I am the Messiah. Living water comes from me. And then he goes on almost to solidify that point, to bring evidence to the fact that he is divine. He says, why don't you go get your husband? You know, why why don't you go get him? And and she and, and he starts reading her mail about how she actually has multiple husbands. And I don't know if it's because she's just uncomfortable and wants to change the subject or if she realizes he has divine wisdom and knowledge and she wants to like pick his brain. I'm going to go with the with the first one. But she, she instantly turns around and is like, well, I don't want to talk about that anymore. So I'm going to ask you a question. And she asks Jesus this question leading up to John 4. She says, sir. The woman said, I personally think it was a change of subject, but nonetheless, there's a principle to be found in it. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, I want to know, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place you can worship? But we Samaritans, right? We claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. So, Okay, if, if I'm dealing with the Messiah, if you're religious and you're spiritual and you have all the answers, I want to I know. Is it Mount Gerizim or is it Jerusalem? Samaritans think this, Jews think this. 
where's the right place for us to worship? I want to know. This has caused tension between them, disagreements. So let's check out Jesus's response because it's so good. I think there's something in it for us. He replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. Verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. And the father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. He says God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What the woman at the well was saying is, is that the right place to worship him? Or is that the right place to worship him? And Jesus is saying, baby, I'm everywhere. I'm spirit. And a time's coming where the real worshipers will worship me in the spirit. You can worship me anywhere and everywhere because I'm spirit. We don't have to confine our worship. We don't have to box our worship in. But Destiny Church, I feel like sometimes we can get wrapped up like the Samaritan woman. And the only time you raise your hands and the only time you sing out to God and the only time you give them praise is the three songs before I preach on a Sunday morning. And you say, this is the place we worship. It's not Mount Gerizim. It ain't Jerusalem. It's Marsh Vegas, baby. Here we are. <laughs> and y'all, we need to, we need to, we need to, we need to not confine our worship, but instead we need to devote ourselves to a life of worship. And Paul talks about this in, in, the, first, in the first couple of verses of Romans. He says in, in 12, Romans 12, verse one and two, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. This is every day, every moment. This, this is what worship becomes. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship. We need, as a body, we need to recognize and grab hold of the fact that true worship not only happens on a Sunday morning with enthusiastic praise, right? But living enthusiastically for the Lord day in and day out, living a life that glorifies him in every aspect of our lives. That's how we truly worship God. And he's looking for the true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Here we are, Lord. Okay. So one, we got to fix our focus. Two, we got to pray. Three, prioritize worship. And four, Kim, you can come if you don't mind. Number four is unity. Everyone say unity. Jesus shared this with his disciples. I thought it was a good thought. Or actually, it's uh, with some religious leaders. He says, uh, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And Jesus said to them, every kingdom that's divided against itself is brought to desolation. And in every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If you're taking notes, I, I think this might be worth writing down but disunity in the church may just be the most destructive thing in the church. Disunity may be the most destructive thing the church can experience. And the church, for whatever reason, I mean, anytime there's a big gathering of people, um, it's easy to get frustrated with people. (laughs) Y'all are going to lie in church. That's okay. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to gossip. 
It's easy to get mad at Pastor Mark for the way he did things or whatever. You got mad at, you know, Judy for the way that she decided to do this and that ministry and, you know, whatever. There can be, there, there can be strife or whatever, problems with leadership or problems with our friends in the church or, or so-and-so. But God, God loves when the church is united. Paul went around and Paul wrote letters specifically addressing different issues in the church because he wanted the church um, to, to be, to maximize the effectiveness of the church. And I really believe that God loves unity. God loves to move. God loves to move in a group of people that is unified in thought and purpose. But Paul wrote, Paul wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. And in the second letter, in fact, the very last thing he says is this. 2 Corinthians verse 13, 11. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I close my, I close my letters with these last thoughts. If you got nothing else from, those, from the two letters and everything that I've said, there was some good stuff, orderly worship, spiritual gifts, all that, all that. But if you missed all that, take this away. Be joyful, grow to maturity. You need to mature, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Why, Paul? Why do that? Because then the God of love and peace will be with you. God responds powerfully when his people are united, when, when we live in harmony. Amen. Does anyone want God to respond powerfully in this body? We have to be united. And when we're united, we create room for God to do powerful things. Not that he can't when we're, when we're disunified, but I just don't think God loves to honor that. Jesus told us the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But here's the deal. I'm looking out into a room full of workers saying, let's link arms. Let's put our nets together. Let's get out in our workplaces. Use the gifts that God's put in you. I'll use the gifts God's put in me. Let's, it, let's, be, let's maximize our effectiveness as a church so we can reach people in this, in this city, in this community with the gospel. But if we're going to do that, church, we got to fix our focus. We got to commit to prayer. We got to live a life of worship and we got to stay unified. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and stand. Let's pray. And then we're going to worship Jesus. We love you so much. Father, I pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts, God, to live a life of focus, a life where we seek your kingdom above all else, where we don't care about the praise of men. We just care about the praise of you. And we live our life in a way that honors and mirrors that. God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to prayer, that we would live lives full of worship, and that we would be unified, that we would consider other needs above our needs. Help us to love people well. And God, we pray that you would move through this place in a divine way. God, if, it's, if there's greater access to, to your presence, if there's a greater experience of your glory, if, if, if you're willing to reveal more of who you are to us, we want it. We want it. And I know there's no magical dance we can do to get it, but God, I pray that this would be a body you're pleased with. And I pray that you would move in this place, respond to our efforts to draw near to you. Your word says when we come near, you come near. So do it in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.